shot. Here is a handoff to Smith. And John is Smith with a well-designed play, able to walk in with a touchdown. Newton. Takes it in. Touchdown, Patriots. Decisive. Third and goal. Quick pass to the end zone. Touchdown, Hunter Henry. Minus three. With Dave Damashek. Hi and hello, sports fans. Welcome to another episode of Minus Three. Coming up in just a second here, our old pal Ross Tucker. Who better to talk to? I really have wanted to talk to him about Belichick and Tom Brady. Brady and Belichick, what one does and how it impacts the other. Who better to talk to than a guy who was a part of that organization, knows Brady well, knows how Belichick's head works. So Ross Tucker coming up in just a second as Belichick buys up all the available tight ends, nay, all the available pro football players here in free agency. And of course, the ball's about to be tipped in March Madness. Make sure you're following along on extra points with uh, me and cousin Sal and against all odds. Sal and the boys breaking down all the best bets for you there. So much to follow along with here. How you doing, Eddie Spaghetti? Your Rangers on Monday night almost did uh, did the rest of the division a favor by knocking off the Flyers. But, of course, the Rangers, Rangers, and all those teams keep on winning. Everybody in the upper half of that division keeps on winning. Another one on Tuesday night in Pittsburgh. The Penguins uh, giving a goal and a half now to the Bruins. Were I to bet against my team, which I philosophically never would do, I think the Bruins are in a good spot here. They really need a win. Talented bunch. they got to end this swoon or they're going to find themselves on the wrong, wrong side of that playoff picture. But anyway, I'm sorry. I said, how are you, Spaghetti? And then I didn't you know, let you answer. How say you? What's up, fella? Well, it's uh, yeah, it's always tough to play a hockey game missing your top two goaltenders and having to start Keith Kincaid. And then on top of that, losing, I believe it was like three to four guys uh, due to the NHL COVID protocols, including Adam Fox, who's far and away the Rangers' best player of the season. So, And they still brought the Flyers, who are a better team, into overtime. They got the point out of it. You got to hope the next game they play them, they get you know the two points there. If you come out of that with three points. You can't complain too much through the Rangers. You know, you're trying to, you know, tread water here with all the goaltending issues, the COVID protocols, you're just getting some guys back like Panera. And it's been, it's been a very strange, uh, stretch of the season for the Rangers. Uh, but you know, they're still, they're still kind in the mix. So, I mean, whatever, they're still floating. And, uh, just to, just to give you some cliffs notes real quick here, me and Sal are both in on Illinois to at least the final four. Sal uh, circled them at the season start. I randomly circled them about two months or so ago. I do like them as a play at minimum to get the to the final four. Same goes for Florida State. Make sure you bet both of those or whatever you please at fanduel.com slash minus three. It's the word minus the number three. Get in on that one. And I'll tell you, the other one that I was talking to Sal about, and by the way, on the most recent episode of Extra Points, Joe Lenardi, the bracketologist, the man who I envy and I resent, but he proved to be lovely, so I can't resent him too much. Go back in uh, and listen to that one, too. He gives his national championship pick. The thing that I am really fascinated by, and Spaghetti, you're in on this one, too, is if you want a good, solid bet, just going forward, you just want to get on cruise control. Whoever the Buffalo Sabres are playing, they will always be minus one and a half against the Sabres. I am going to do the work of counting it up. But I mean, anecdotally, Spaghetti, they the, the Sabres don't just lose every game. 
they lose every game by at least two goals. Betting the money line against them seems like a seems like a smart play there. You also have the Islanders and Caps going on Tuesday night, a big game, of course, as we talk about that East Division. And before we jump into football, how say you? I wonder if that's going to work out. If you just ride whoever the Sabres are playing, if you end up making money by season's end. So far, that would definitely be true. Well, what's funny, too, is uh, currently they're in a stretch versus the Devils, who are also pretty bad, have like a similar stretch of losing games at home. I think either one of those teams betting against you're going to come out okay. But especially with the Sabres, they're going to be sellers at the deadline, too. They're going to now just going to start a stockpile pick, stockpile younger talent who are not going to play. So not only could you bet the uh you know the goal and a half spread but if the even if depending on who they're playing like if the total is five and a half goals especially with six and a half goals you can almost take the under they, they're going to be playing a lot of like three one games a lot of two zip games so like the sabers is not a very good hockey team they're painful to watch definitely always bet against them fanos.com slash minus three and also um the as we jump into pro football here and bring on Ross Tucker, the Patriots, the hot ticket now moving up in the futures to win the AFC East. I say slow your roll. I know that Belichick is trying to get his revenge on Brady and show that he still um, is relevant in 21st century football, even without uh, pretty boy number 12. I don't think they're uh, this puts them anywhere close to winning the division and depending on how things break for the jets and dolphins at qb i i still think the smarter bet is to take the patriots to finish last in that division but anyhow uh instead of um speculating about it let's talk to the guy who's plugged in let's get to ross tucker right now all right this is good because i round about the super bowl week i decided we had to get the insight from this fella, the guy who is the one who revealed to the world a number of years ago on my old show that Tom Brady can chug a beer faster than anybody. Obviously, no one understands the the fine print of what goes down in the Patriot way. And now with Bill Belichick setting the pro football world aflame in the first week of free agency, he's here to break it all down for us. Our old pal, Ross Tucker. What's the poop, fella? What's the poop, fella? Ben Coates. I love it. You know, it's so funny, Dave. I literally, just before we started recording, I just tweeted at Ross Tucker NFL, the old Patriot way was getting really good players to come to New England for less money so they could play with Brady and try to win a championship. The new Patriot way is overpaying pretty good players to come to New England and not play with Tom Brady and not win a championship. I mean, really, like like the, the third and fourth highest paid tight ends in the history of the NFL now are Hunter Henry and John U. Smith. Now, I think they're good players, pretty good players. You know, their teams didn't go out of their way to retain them. And now they're third and fourth right behind George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. These guys are not in the same stratosphere as those two guys. Then you look at some of their receivers. Now wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. And Kendrick I, the Bourne identity. Yeah, I let well that the Kendrick Bourne deal is is wild. But again, here where we find ourselves in this fascinating spot 20 plus years into the Belichick experience, where a lot of people right now are trying to make sense of like, so is Belichick still, does he have the cheat code? I'm not saying he cheated, although he did. Um, 
does he have does he have some che- don't shake your head eddie spaghetti why that upsets you no eddie spaghetti doesn't like it when no. uh, you know what's smart about what spaghetti does rt is he he wants everything to be on the up and up with the patriots he doesn't want any stink on them because then that diminishes eli's um doubleheader achievement against brady on the biggest stage and i respect that that's what you want you don't want to when people do like i I, i've often said ross that college basketball or whatever fans when they do the thing in the final seconds of a huge upset when they're like to the number one team on the court that's about to lose like overrated like what are you doing, man? We're we're beating number one. We're beating a powerhouse. This is a grand moment for our institution. You're diminishing it by saying they're overrated. You're making it. In other words, yeah, it's not that great because that team really isn't that good. They're overrated. Well, anyhow. Like, how about, That's dumb. How about good for how about spaghetti? Last week, how about last week, Sheck, when Jerry Jones says while he's sitting right next to Dak Prescott, "I've overpaid for the best things." Like overpaid like you're sitting next to the guy you say overpaid like uh that is a backhanded compliment if i've ever heard one so true and i i do want to dig in on what dak means to the nfc east because there hasn't been a ton of movement yet however ryan fitzpatrick would look to be in line i guess to take some snaps for washington we'll get into that but i want to stay focused on the afc east and uh and it starts with rightly since they've ruled it for 20 years until 2020 at least the new england patriots so all right so a lot of people don't know like we have stockholm syndrome we don't know like this doesn't make any sense that you would pay Bourne that much money or nelson aguilar that much money but we've seen these pedestrian ish players turned into stars or into winners by Belichick although then Tom Brady goes to Tampa and wins the Super Bowl without all those crazy rules of Belichick so we find ourselves in a very uh, very uh, interesting spot and the reason I wanted to talk to you the week of the Super Bowl and so I talked to you on the phone but not on the podcast so now let's visit that here I I think and I know it sounds conspiratorial and like something you would see in Us Weekly rather than on a football or a sports podcast. But I refuse to believe that Tom Brady winning that Super Bowl didn't upset Belichick and help inspire what Belichick is doing as we speak. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And it's comical for anyone to suggest otherwise. Look, these guys are very well aware of the fact that their 20 years together is somehow going to be framed by what they do apart. And so far in his coaching career, in the eight years where Tom Brady was not his starting quarterback, Bill Belichick has exactly one playoff berth. One in eight years, Shaq. Five years in Cleveland, he went one time, Didn't go in 2000, didn't go in 2008, didn't go in 2020. Tom Brady, in one year of not being coached by Bill Belichick, won the Super Bowl by winning three road playoff games, including over first ballot Hall of Famers like Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers, and then the Super Bowl over Patrick Mahomes. Look, it's not a big sample size for Brady. 
It's a pretty significant sample size, I'd say, at this point. For I mean, eight years, a lot of head coaches don't ever coach eight years. They get fired after two or three, and they never get a shot. Eight years is a lot. Is a big sample size for a coach. So far, it's heavily tilted in Brady's favor. Now, I do believe with the Patriots having the cap space that they had and given everything that's happened with the pandemic, they benefit from that, right? Like, none of these other teams have cap space it's a unique sort of arbitrage opportunity, if you will, for the Patriots. I think that this would have been the plan in some way, shape, or form anyway. But anyone suggesting that Belichick isn't extremely cognizant of the scoreboard with him and Brady is kidding themselves. And he realizes he needs to get it turned around right now. Otherwise, the whole patriot way the whole culture like if they have another bad year the mystique is kind of gone they need to get back to at least being a playoff team this year to at least keep that that culture going a little bit it feels like a 20-year canard being played on pro football players up in new england like hey you can go and screw around on social media and do whatever you want to do for 31 pro football teams but if you come to foxborough you got you to tamp it down. You can't have much of a personality in the building. But in exchange, I'm going to give you a shot at the Lombardi. And that is enough to seduce some players at certain stages of their career. It all is leveraged by, I mean, I guess like the, the personification of it, if it's not Tom Brady, it's kind of like Julian Edelman in that you ain't making it. You're you're not. It, it's a little bit of a like a Kurt Rambis effect with the Lakers. Like you ain't good enough to make a bad team and start on a bad team, but on the best team, you can be a, a, an essential element of that success. In other words, Edelman, Danny Amendola, whoever you want to put to, but but it's a little. Also, Al Davis in this 70s with the Raiders, like other people's damaged goods or you're you're out on the street. Nobody cares about you. We'll take you and we'll make you work. And that chip on the shoulder kind of thing that's worked in Foxborough. Um, I, I I'm a little surprised the guys that I'm guessing Johnny Smith had some market out there. I'm guessing Hunter Henry had some market. I do think you're right, though. That this idea, like, see, this is Belichick's revenge. He is overpaying, correct? I mean, he's well, he, look, he's not he, like two years ago. The difference is your point is this would have happened anyway if Tom Brady were still there. Yeah, but they wouldn't be paying this much to be getting these guys, right? Well, people, so overpaying is an interesting term, right? Because by the very nature of free agency, 99% of the guys, Dave go to the team that is offering them the most money. So I guess every team that signs every free agent overpaid for said player because they were willing to pay more than 31 other teams, right? So like everybody, but the reality is these guys aren't going to New England because they heard it's an awesome, fun place to play. They're not even going there because they think that they're going to win the Super Bowl. They're going there because that's the team that's offering them the most money. That, that's why they're going there. I mean, Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry becoming the third and fourth highest paid tight ends ever in this market with the cap about $30 million less than they thought it would be. 
or even some of these other moves they've made at receiver and otherwise. I just, I guess it's a relative term, but yes, they are overpaying for these guys. They're, they're certainly paying more than anybody else is because look, it's not like there's no state income tax up there. It's not like there's Brady up there. There's not like other incentives to go play for the Patriots at this point. That's well, that's my point. Even in the glory years, the guys that went up there, you know, Randy Moss kind of stands out as one of the exceptions to the rule. And Darrell Rivas, that's another thing that is worth pointing out. This idea like Belichick's never done anything with free agents. Of course, that ignores the Super Bowl 49 win that that had something to do with Darrell Rivas's presence. It's not as though he's never uh, dipped his toes into these waters. I, I, I mean, I have so many questions. I, I'd like you to disabuse the fans, though, of that because it feels pretty basic. And yet. To, to this second, I can go on Twitter and summon countless tweets from fans about like, but that's not a good scheme for him. Doesn't he want to be in a good, doesn't he want to be in a winning situation and everything else? I think people would be really bummed out. And I don't want to sound like some cool, like I'm like, I got the inside and I can tell you the truth about this. But the bottom line is, as most human beings would, who's paying the most money is what is the deciding factor always, right? I mean, right, with, right. with few exceptions. It's like, it, here's here's what cracks me up, right? So you guys talk about betting and odds a lot on this show, like I do on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast or the Even uh, Money Podcast no, or whatever. No right? one works in a self-plug better than Ross Tucker. He's the best in the business at it. Well, and I, I've said I this like recently on, on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, at Ross Tucker NFL, but no. <laughs> no, but in all sincerity, <laughs> it's like when J.J. Watt signed with the Arizona Cardinals and everyone's like, what? He doesn't want to win a Super Bowl. Like, I know people aren't the brightest bulbs, okay? Like, that's that's been established a long time ago, okay? 11 years hosting a radio show, I know that for sure that there's a lot of people out there. That aren't. But can you do me a favor? Can you go look at the Super Bowl futures for every team? Can you do the math on what the percentage chance is that each team wins the Super Bowl? Even the team that's the favorite, whether that's the Chiefs or the Bucks or whatever. I love how these people think that J.J. Watt should have picked the Cleveland Browns or the Buffalo Bills because they would have given him a better chance to win a Super Bowl than the Arizona Cardinals. Are we talking about the Bills that haven't been to a Super Bowl in 28 years? Or are we talking about the Browns who have never been to a Super Bowl? Yes, you're right. A 30-something-year-old D. Lyman saying, I'm going to go to Cleveland, that's it. They're going, Browns are winning the Super Bowl. Like, the only thing you know for sure that you are getting is the money that's in the contract. Now, I'm sure J.J. Watt liked the idea of living in Arizona. I am sure that he thinks, look, it's not like they got no shot. It's not like he went to Jacksonville. That's or the, the thing. Some terrible right. That's thing. the point, too, is you also have to consider the massive egos of these guys and – J.J. Watt can probably talk himself into pretty easily. Like, you know, maybe I am the finishing finishing piece down there and I'll harass Matthew Stafford and Russell Wilson in the 2021 season and guide the Cardinals to an improbable Super Bowl win. I'm sure yeah, it's, he's capable of talking himself into that. No, but the point is, is like, what's the percentage chance that the Buffalo Bills win the Super Bowl? 
five percent. Right. I mean, it's not even five percent, but let's just say it's five percent. The Arizona Cardinals are like probably two and a half percent. I don't have the math in front of me, right? But are you really going to take less money for a two and a half percent better? Ch- it's not like, and not like you know which team's going to win the Super Bowl. That's it. like if you if you told guys before the year, hey, just so you know, this upcoming season. The the Bucks are going to repeat. They're going to win it again. Then you would get guys to take less, like if they knew that for sure. But there is no for sure. That, that's, well, that's not how it works. The asterisk is, and it's always been up in New England. Like you can't really apply Foxborough rules to the other thirty-one teams because whatever voodoo they're working up there is leading to Lombardi's, and you can't really use that method because it wouldn't work anywhere else. We've seen. Uh, assistant coaches from Belichick try it other places. We've seen players go. It doesn't, it, it doesn't seem to take, except now Tom Brady goes down to Tampa and exactly what we're talking about here is the, is the uh, exception to the rule, which is like, okay, we won one with this old guy. And now he's saying, let's run it back. Cause we're going to be even better this year. That is the magic. And that's the part uh, along with the Super Bowl win by itself a few weeks back. That's got to drive Belichick crazy. The guys will take maybe a little bit less to run it back with Brady, but now Belichick is paying a little bit more to get them. It really does feel like what the scene in the romantic comedy movies where the couple splits and then they find themselves on the same dance floor with new lovers and then they <laughs> pretend and then they're looking over the shoulder of their new love at the other one. Like I'm having more fun. I'm more romantic than you. This feels like exactly what Belichick is doing to Tom Brady and Tom Brady doesn't give a crap, but, but Belichick definitely cares and is you driving him crazy because it's ruining his legacy all the 20 years of like, look what I can do is all out the window. And you're a hundred percent right that Belichick has to be like, Oh man, if, if in 2021, we don't throw out a more than respectable, I mean, eight and eight doesn't do it. I mean, they got to bounce back in a big way or this whole thing is like, Oh, it's just all built on sand and, and, and pretty boy Brady. It had nothing to do with the head coach. All that, all that wizardry was nonsense. Right. Right. Well, so a couple of things here, right? So first of all, I have an idea. How about sign guys like this when you had Tom Brady two years ago? What? And then he'd still be there. He wouldn't. He wouldn't be angry that you're leaving him hanging financially and with the guys around him. Secondly, I think Dave. What? I never call you Dave. Check Damashek. Whatever. I think Tuck. what. I love, by the way, that Eddie gets one third billing on the video. He hasn't said a word yet. I know. It's, yeah, like, why don't we on. just wipe Eddie off and have it be You're me right. and you? Let's on go, the weakest show. link. Come on, I mean, weakest link with that yeah. ridiculous hair, dude. That way people Come on. can see my Twitter handle. Exactly. That, get rid of spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's all sincerity. This is an O-line journeyman, and look at the attitude he's throwing around here. You expect Tom <laughs> Brady not to have a big ego? Come on, wake up, people. So here's – you know what I just realized? I should do a show one time with one of my helmets on the whole time. I like it. I should just put a helmet on, just like – that could be my thing. Like, nobody else does that. Nobody else does a show with the helmet. Anyway, so here's the two things I think. Under the helmet. Under the helmet. I think that's already a show. Here's the two things that I think Belichick really discounted in terms of the value that Brady provides and underestimated. Number one, when you have Brady as your quarterback, and I can speak to this from 05 and 06, 
you know you're going to win the game. And I've told you this before. Like, when I had Bledsoe as my quarterback, I thought we would win the game. Like, if it's late, one-score game, I thought we'd win. Like I thought Drew would get it done for us. There are other quarterbacks who I won't name that you're like, oh, man, I hope this guy can get it done. Name one. Name done. one of them. No, you can look at who I played with. I, look, these guys, they already have been the brunt of jokes for a while because they didn't have great careers. They don't need me burying them 15 years later, whatever it is, 20 years later. But my point is when you have Brady, you know you're going to win. Like those late playoff games, every guy on the Bucs sideline was like, we're winning. We got we, we got the guy who wins these games. We got Brady. I don't know if it's conscious or subconscious, Sheck, but it's huge. Here's the other thing. You know what I think the Patriot way was or is? Not wanting to let Brady down. Hmm. Not wanting to screw up because you don't want to disappoint him. As you know, you'll never get a teammate of Brady's to ever say a bad word about him. Everybody loves him. And you know how much time and effort and energy he puts in and how hard he is on himself. So the last thing you want to do, forget the coaches. You don't want to make a mistake because you don't want to get the look from him. You don't want to have let him down. He didn't even need to say anything. You don't want to let him down. That is better than any motivation from any coach, anybody yelling, any contract. You just don't want to let the guy down. Those two psychological factors are gigantic. And as big a reason as I think as the physical reasons why directions. It is it is hard to do the math on when you watch Tom Brady. You you see Patrick Mahomes making plays on third and long with his legs. That's Patrick Mahomes doing it. And and Brady couldn't do even that. You see Lamar Jackson winning an MVP a couple of years ago. You see Aaron Rodgers still able to functionally scramble and Russell Wilson and everything else. With Brady, it feels like all the things they're like, well, you need your quarterback to be able to do that. Brady, a lot of them can't do. He doesn't have the biggest arm or anything else. It's like, well, I see he – he was a look. It's the defense, the Bucks defense, that deserves the credit, not Tom Brady. It's like, how how long are we going to persist with this? Like Tom Brady is just is just Waldo showing up in perfect situations all the time before we give him credit. I think that ship has sailed. Even if Tom Brady staggers off of that ship, drunken at uh, at Cruz's end, um, I I'm fascinated though. By it's not like he's Ferris Bueller. What's so likable about why is Brady so charming? He's a it seems like he yells at guys and gets into them and everything. I guess he strikes the perfect balance. But while that Super Bowl, while that playoff run is going on down there in the Tampa St. Pete area, it is your contention that Bill Belichick is in front of a TV and watching it and wringing his hands. He's upset by it. Or is he like, I'm not watching this junk. I'm building for 2021, as guys like Mike Tannenbaum would suggest. He's also plugged in with Belichick. He's like, oh, he doesn't care what's happening with Tom Brady at this point. I, I mean, I'll, I'll defer to you and guys like Tannenbaum who actually know Belichick and Brady and that uh, that dynamic between the two. I mean, just from the outside looking in. Uh, Belichick's love of history and the Patriots place in and everything else – Leads me to believe he cares very deeply about Brady winning a Super Bowl without him and is now incented to at least, if not win a Super Bowl, to before he walks out the door at almost 70 years of age, say, like, see, I can still win without uh, pretty boy Brady. How say you? 
There, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that he did not want Tom Brady to win the Super Bowl. And I think it would be – it would go against human nature on some level to think otherwise. Right, there's for any human being, let alone a, a, an ultra-competitor who is a head football coach. What do you think? He's not competitive? He's, oh, that's fine. I'm happy for Tom. Good for him, fella. Yeah, I'm, send them I'm a glad. I'm glad for the rest of my life and the, the rest of humanity – human existence, that people will think that he had a lot more to do with the success than me. That's awesome. No, nobody thinks that. This is a guy that always has cameras everywhere. You ever notice that every year when they win the Super Bowl, they just happen to have this NFL Films documentary where they've been tracking the meetings of the coaches and then they interview the assistants so that that video lives on in perpetuity. And it's not the players being interviewed, it's the coaches. And they point out how the week of Super Bowl, they said to Malcolm Butler, hey, Malcolm, when the Seahawks get down there, they're going to run a slant, buddy. You go in there. Th those videos, like, highlight the coaching, okay? Okay. Don't even get me started, dude. If you can't see through it, and by the way, I don't blame him, Dave. I'd be the same way. I'd be I, the same I, way. Like, video everything. And then if we win the Super Bowl, right? If we win the Super Bowl, let's do a documentary and all the things from the year where, like, we did a good job coaching that helped make a difference in the game. Put those in when I gave that speech before the Jets game and I said at halftime, like, put that in. Like, I would do the same thing. Like it's a it's a documentary that you're able to decide what goes in and what doesn't. Of course, I would do that. It's very old school, and that doesn't remind that doesn't surprise me. Given like you you, you hear Belichick talking, who he genuflects to in sports history and military history and everything else. It it, it kind of connects that it, he he has a, a college powerhouse head coach kind of vibe to him. Like the players come and go, but I'm the constant here. And my philosophy, my approach is what is what has made this brand so powerful. So he has kind of had the rug pulled out from him a little bit by uh, Tom Brady, who kind of stole his shine down there in Florida, but now to 2021. And it's kind of like, uh, and well, I guess this is an incomplete puzzle here. Cause what, you know, free agency, we're just at the tip of it in the draft, of course, um, you know, uh, a, a month away too. Um, but as we see this snapshot here, I feel like everybody is knee-jerk reacting like, oh, the great revenge of Belichick. Look out, NFL, because here comes the new look Patriots with Cam Newton, maybe, unless they get another quarterback. And now they're going to go 12 personnel all day and they're just going to grind it out in, in 2021. I still say the Bills win the division. I say the Dolphins are probably better than they are. And it can break this way where the Patriots, by the time the season kicks off, are going to be expected to finish fourth and will finish fourth. It's not crazy to say that Russell Wilson winds up with the Jets, the way things are tracking. If Pete Carroll really covets Sam Darnold, which seems loco, but um, or or to use him as the thing we're going to build around to replace Russell Wilson, not let's take a flyer on Sam Darnold. No, let's... Let's build the thing around the kid. Seems like a stretch. But anyway, if Russell Wilson lands with the Jets, or for that matter, Justin Fields lands with the Jets, and Deshaun Watson lands with the Dolphins, I mean, the Patriots are the worst team in that division still. I think that despite 
what you can imagine Belichick doing with the two tight ends on the field and playing power football against the high flying uh, NFL. Otherwise, I still think they're destined to be third or fourth. How say you? I would say as it's currently constituted right now, as we record this on March 16th at 1130 a.m., I would say the Patriots are second. I am skeptical of Tua Tungavailoa as a starting I think so the Dolphins. entire season. And I, we got to go with what we know right now at quarterback with the Jets. Now, I do think at least one of them and maybe both will have quarterback upgrades. But let's just say the Jets get Deshaun Watson. Then, uh, then, then I think they are right in the mix with the Dolphins and the Patriots behind the Bills. Still think the Bills are the best team in the division. I think the Patriots feel like now to me, Sheck, like a nine and seven, maybe ten and six win team. Mm-hmm. I can see that, but it's really hard to watch them last year and to watch Cam Newton and to think, yeah, they're. I mean, I'm seeing people now saying Brady versus Belichick in the Super Bowl. I don't think so. In fact, I don't think either one of them will get there. But Brady has a decent chance. I think they'll have a pretty good team. I don't think the Patriots are going to the Super Bowl. I mean, I, 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 they might not even, to your point, they might not even be the second best team in their division. I mean, I'm t- listen, the, the Adam Gase effect has got to be for real. We're sleeping on it. If we're, pre- if we're pretending that that isn't real – what quarterbacks do with Gase and without. So I, I would be tempted if I were Joe Douglas to see if Sam Darnold can do it. But of course the um, path to a potentially high end quarterback this year is greater than it will be a year from now because of the loaded quarterback draft upcoming and Russell Wilson seems like he might be gettable. Deshaun Watson might be gettable. So I think you better get him in the calendar year 2021. If the Texans hold on to Watson for too long and they're still in the third week of August and they still have him, I think the Jets have to position themselves and approach it from a place that like we have to be ready to pull the trigger on Deshaun Watson um, whenever the Texans decide to start fielding the call because he's that kind of a difference maker. But like I said, you know, how many times this, it, it, it drives me crazy that we're in the place again with this Trey Lance. Let's have him sit a year, learn at the knee. I know Patrick Mahomes did well under that model. I know Aaron Rodgers did well in Green Bay 15, uh, 17 years ago. But those are the exceptions that prove the rule. If you use a high pick on a quarterback in the free agency era, you should be using him. Or why did you just use a high first on that guy? This is not like a... This, this idea of like build for the future, like free agency gets in the way of all that. So cut that crap out. And I still see well, teams trying to do that stuff. I, fans still think that way, which is one thing. It's another thing when pro football teams do that. Like we're grooming him. Our defense is hard to learn. But by year three, he'll be ready to be a regular. And it like, well, stop doing it that way then because that's not a good approach. He's going to be gone in two years now. You you just used a, a draft pick on this guy. You got to get him in the lineup sooner rather than later, right? Yeah. Now, I would say Trey Lance is extremely unique being 20 years old and only playing one season of FCS football. But he's going to get drafted in the top 10, and he's going to be playing by week eight. That's just part of it I always think is funny. Is like we don't want to throw him to the wolves. 
We don't we don't want to put him out there before he's ready. And then somehow between week one and week five, usually or week six, they drank magic ready juice. And they're like as if like three weeks of practice or watching the game from the sideline. Oh, he's ready. He's he's totally ready now. That always kind of cracks me up. There's no like epiphany. Now, maybe you want to have him not have to start the opener or give him two weeks to see what a, the weekly schedule is. And again, I get it. But look, if the Cincinnati Bengals, okay, could start Andy Dalton as a second round pick in the opener, and by the way, make the playoffs that year. I just don't think there's a very good argument for these other teams. Now, Andy was an older guy, and he's a really smart guy or whatever. But I, what I, I really admire the Bengals. You know what they did that year? If you remember, they drafted him. He was the starter at, like, the next minicamp. Like, the next minicamp, they were just like, no, he's our guy. He, we're going we're gonna to go with Andy Dalton. And by the way, that was a great pick by them. He had a good career with the Bengals. He was a solid quarterback. And evidently, there's a bunch of teams – like the Niners and the Bears, they're interested in him right now. I let you know I like what if in pro football. And I mean, what if the where would the Chargers be right now? By the way, side note, that team's going to win the AFC West. Hear me now, believe me later, get in on that uh ASA AMP. Um, but uh and I also think as a result, I also think uh Mahomes may win more Super Bowls, but I also think the best teams, uh, you know top to bottom rosters he'll ever be on are in the rear view mirror for him already. I believe that too. I know that sounds like a hot take, but if you want to push back on that, you're welcome to, but uh, you know, that was exactly what they were about to do. The chargers, you know, Anthony Lynn's job, he knew his job was on the line last year and he decided on Tyrod Taylor over Justin Herbert and Herbert came up or the team came up or maybe Anthony Lynn and the coaching staff let them down ultimately, but he almost held on to his job because of Justin Herbert. Um, so anyhow, and so so yes, I I mean the idea that the Jets are like, well, oh, the Jets are going to be out the Patriots, like, yeah, I know, like, well, the Browns beat the Steelers in a playoff game, like, the, you know, all bets are off, first of all, and two, if Justin Fields is the real deal and he goes second overall, and you plug him in there without Adam Gase and with a burgeoning roster there, I don't think it's loco that the Jets can be good, and if they get Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson, then they are way, way past them. Who, I know this is completely unfair to do in March because we're we're looking at an incomplete picture. Ross Tucker has uh, has $1 million and he's got to put it on one AFC East team. Which which team are you betting on to win that division? Oh, Buffalo Bills. Bills? Yeah, okay. no hesitation whatsoever. They have a really good roster. They have an MVP caliber quarterback. It's the Bills. And, uh, okay, I found some loose change in my pocket. Uh, what's the best value to get to be a playoff team from the other three then? Ooh, I'd have to look up, see where they're at right now. Um, what's New England compared to Miami? Obviously, I, I, I would say this. I think They were the plus 500 to win the division right hey, now last time. I'm going to say this. The Jets are the best value I, because you know, I, I think you can get them – Unbelievable odds right now, and I still think there's a decent chance they get Deshaun Watson. And if they, they don't get have- Watson, they're going to get Zach Wilson, I think, who everybody's telling me is awesome, like they're comparing him to Aaron Rodgers and Mahomes. I don't know. We were talking about this. You know, here's the thing that's funny, uh, by the way, Sheck. You're going to hear for the next month 
everybody, when they talk about Mac Jones at Alabama, is going to talk about how good the guys around him were at Alabama, right? Like, well, but look who he was playing with at Alabama. What's hilarious about that is nobody said that about Tua the year before, literally the year before. And then how about these other guys? You think yeah, but they're saying that though, but you're but th- that doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's because of Tua that people are saying that about Mac Jones, right? It's the same no, thing but- at some point, like Alabama running backs weren't good in the pros. So then people are like, I don't know, Derrick Henry's not gonna be good either. No, I don't think that's why they're saying it. I think they're saying it because they had such a good team around them. But to me, it's like, have you seen the guys Trevor Lawrence had at Clemson? I mean, he's got two receivers that are going to be in the top 15. He's got a stud running back. Have you seen what Trey Lance's North Dakota State team looked like compared to who they played? But the point that uh, Emory Hunt made on the College Draft podcast, BYU's O-line this year was unbelievable. They BYU have three or four offensive linemen drafted. They're playing these crappy teams. Zach Wilson's got like an unbelievable offensive line for them. And it's like, okay, so what was Justin Fields? Do you think the guys around Justin Fields stunk? Every old lineman's going in the first three rounds. Their running back's going in the first three rounds. Their receiver went back to school, Olave. He would have been a first-round pick. Like, what are we talking about here? They, they all have really good guys around them. It's a great – well, but doing the math on that is everything. I didn't think Joey Bosa was going to be good. I thought he was a passenger on that Ohio State State team three, four years ago. Then he goes third overall, and I look like a dummy. I I mean, I think there's something to that. Matt Leinert was revealed as a passenger. People were very high on him. If he would have come out a year earlier, he might have been the first overall. Then in the process, he falls to 10th, and that was a little bit of a red flag. The biggest red flag was when Pete Carroll, when Leinert came available – Pete Carroll's up in Seattle and they're like, Hey, you want to back up Russ? And he's like, not with that guy. I don't, which was uh, now that he does want supposedly allegedly Sam Darnold. I feel like uh, the guy who should be most red in the face is Matt Liner because he's like, coach, you didn't want this USC guy, but you like Sam Darnold that now that reflects. And Matt Barkley. He never wanted Matt Barkley. Matt, dude, Matt <laughs> Barkley. I, you know what I wish we could do? I mean, there's a lot of what ifs. I would love to – I wish so often the guys that stayed for another year, I'd love to see what would have happened if they had come out the year before. Even like even like Ohio State this year, they had guys like Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis return to school for this year. Their, their draft stock went down for both of them. I'm not like a schools for fools guy. Like, I get it. I went to a good school. Like, I, I'm into academics. But I don't know. It seems to me – like more guys hurt their stock by coming back another year than help it. You got USC quarterbacks. You got these Ohio state guys. I mean, there's a bunch of examples where it doesn't help you. It it almost never helps you. You know, it's almost like free agency too. You're better off being checked like Corey Davis, who for three years, you do nothing. And then your fourth year, you have a big year. And they're like, Oh man, untapped potential. Or, Or maybe, he was opposite A.J. Brown, who's a total freak show, and he had one good year because Corey Davis, now he gets $27 million fully guaranteed from the Jets. I just I, – you, the way it is now, what you really want to do is not play at all as a rookie, maybe a little bit your second year, then either your third or fourth year, have a really good year, and they're like, oh, man, there's so much to work with there. He's just getting started. Meanwhile, there's a reason why he didn't play that much your first couple of years. 
Well, I, my favorite—that's one of my favorite. Uh, if a guy stay, if Andrew Luck leaves when he was gonna leave, and then decides to run it back, Cam Newton becomes the second pick and goes to the Denver Broncos. Andrew Luck goes to the Carolina Panthers, um, and in Denver with Cam Newton, Peyton Manning no longer signs there, so he signs in either Seattle or San Francisco. And if he goes to Seattle, they don't draft Russell Wilson. So Russell Wilson ends up getting drafted by the Eagles, which means the Eagles don't take Carson Wentz. And that's kind of where, where my path ends. You figure out the rest <laughs> there. You, you enjoy the, the what if uh, butterfly effect stuff too. Um, I'll, I'll leave that one to you. You had the be- one of the best ones ever. If, uh, if Archie hadn't met Olivia Manning down there at Ole Miss Tom Brady would now have, I guess, like 14 or 15 Lombardis. Not to get too biological on you, but I would like to talk to whoever's the expert on these things and say if Archie Manning married Joanna Johnson, what are the odds that oh, his wow. sons – well, first of all, there's some, di- there's some change there in odds then whether or not he even has boys. Could have had girls. But then, like, what are the odds that his sons are still good enough to be NFL football players? Like, yeah, if he was how important right. is the how important is the other person that created the DNA for those children? Fifty well, percent. What do you mean? How important? Of course, there's fifty percent of it. If he had wound up like Archie starts courting, uh, like, oh, from Five Gams, uh, like, if, uh, have you seen Ashley fairly well? Like, oh, like, oh she. <laughs> She's a she's a southern belle. She's the prettiest girl at the ball, and he wound up with her. Then, right? I don't uh, same same effect, right? Fast. I will say this though. I will say this, and my wife and I talk about it all the time. I think usually with pro athletes, I think the mom is usually more than fifty percent. Like if you if you check, go to a post game tailgate, okay of college football players. A lot of them. I would have, have, if I tried to, I would have gotten wedgie and told to go back and hang out with my own nerd. A lot of them have a decent amount of them have large dads. Okay. They almost all have bigger women. Like (laughs) my dad, no, my, my dad is five, nine, 170 pounds. My mom is 5'9 and broad-shouldered. My uncle, her brother is 6'3, 320, went to Delaware on a full ride. Like, ask my wife, because we, we we laugh about it because it's like the dad is hit or miss, but you don't see very many small moms. You just don't. Mm. You don't see like very many petite moms that have, you know big offensive lineman or D lineman or linebacker kid. It just, it just doesn't happen. Fascinating. All right. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I don't want to go down and fall into that. Well, because I could spend another 45 minutes on that. Let's blow through a couple other uh, items here quickly. First of all, you had a great conversation with Greg Cosell about um, um, the, uh, about Roethlisberger's return Cosell. I mean, that to me is the single Best piece of evidence that I've heard anywhere about why the Steelers maybe should have steered away because the red flag for me 
with the only question I have with Roethlisberger I, in reality, and I'm not for the audience's sake, I'm not going to repeat myself for the uh, 900th time here in the last three weeks on why the Steelers had to bring Roethlisberger back. And the Cliff's notes answer is there was nowhere else to go. It, it was Richard Gere in officer and a gentleman, you know, Kevin Colbert said, I got nowhere else to go. I got to bring you back seven. Um, but if he, in fact, it, cause the, 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 the most worrisome thing to my eyeball is week 17 with the Browns absolutely needing to win or their season ends at home. And all that's standing in front of them are some backups, including Mason Rudolph, a quarterback and Mason Rudolph, with the greatest of ease, throwing deep balls, you know, dropping them in the basket for Chase Claypool and otherwise. That was worrisome. And then the next week, they run it back, same team, playoff game, and Roethlisberger threw a couple of atrocious picks. It's not all on seven, but Pouncey, Spats, have it. Cosell sees that there's some actual question about Roethlisberger's arm specific to the deep throws. I, I mean, I – he was throwing lasers here and there against the Bills and otherwise in the last third of the season. It's not like, oh, he's dead armed. His elbow's finished. But the deep balls did flutter a little bit. And I've talked with Mark Caboli of The Athletic about it. There is something about the rotation of the ball and the way he's side he's side-arming it. It's not rotating as much as it was. I I, I don't know. I'm Obviously, I don't know about science. Um, uh, but, but how say you? I mean, I, I just don't think – uh, I guess to give a more global view of it, it is what it, uh, Roethlisberger is going to be the quarterback. I happen to think that the Steelers, it's not crazy to say that they're going to win the division. And as constitute, I think the Browns right now are a little bit scarier than the Ravens because Judon is gone now. There's some questions uh, for the Ravens at the line of scrimmage on both sides, and they need to have a dominant defense for Lamar Jackson's offense to work. How say you? I still think all of those teams are between nine and 11 wins, I would say. And I think it's going to be awesome. I think they're going to be jumbled up. It could work out any different number of ways based on health, et cetera. What I thought was most telling about what Greg Cosell said about Ben on the Ross Tucker podcast was about how the coaches used him. Because it's been pointed out to me that in week 17, and I don't remember watching every second of that game, but they threw the ball deep more with Mason Rudolph than they did with Big Ben. They got into this thing with Big Ben where they ran a shallow cross every play of the game. And I don't know if that's what he wanted or that's all they thought he could do or what was happening there. I, think, I just My assumption is having watched him for this long and watched that offense and the pieces that – employed out there and everything. I got to think that that was seven's choice. I, my hypothesis is that he didn't want contact in the last third of the regular season. He was saving himself for January and he, and he was limiting contact as much you know, as he humanly could. It's funny because they say one of the things when you know a quarterback's kind of done as they get older, they really like to get hit even less it's like I don't know what it is it's it's self-preservation you know with every year I get older I get colder like the weather I, I I get colder my blood the same thing like when I go skiing 
I don't quite go as fast when I like, no matter what I'm doing in life. Okay. It's I'm, so I, true. I just turned 42. I'm just a little more cautious. Like I get it that 70 year olds drive slowly. Like, cause I am a little more cautious. Like I just don't feel like getting hurt. Like I just don't feel like doing something stupid, tearing my ACL. I'll be like, Oh gosh. Like that's the last thing I want to. And I just think whether it's breeze or Brady, cause that was the big thing people were saying about Brady. His last couple of years in new England was man, half of his throws are him just throwing it away. Cause they want to get hit. Half of Brady's throws were like this, like throwing it away because he didn't want to. He didn't want to get hit. Breeze was starting to be like that. And by even the way, in the Super Bowl, even in January, when anybody got within six feet of Tom Brady, he would just turtle. And uh, I mean, like, really, it was pathetic. Except that then he would end up winning the game. It really. Uh, listen, I think that's fine. Fa- I, I think that's true. I, and and, I, think and that, I think Ben's at that stage. Look, Rivers is at that stage. All these guys, and not, I'm not saying these guys like taking sacks or like getting hit before, but they're just not quite as courageous and not quite as willing to take that contact. And maybe smartless, you know, rightfully so. Because look at all these guys. Rivers just had surgery on something. Breeze was all messed up this year. Ben was beat up. Brady had knee surgery. You know why? Because you're not supposed to play pro football. When you're in your late 30s or early, you're not supposed to do it. It, it, It's not a good idea for you. Like the 10 out of 10 doctors would not recommend it. Okay. Answer this. Here's a good question for from a Steelers fans perspective that people forever will go back and forth on. I think that given a choice, do you have a great run blocking O-line and a mediocre running back or one of the two or three best running backs, most talented electric playmakers as a, as an RB with a mediocre O-line. I think I go with the former. I'll give me the O-line. Um, be, this is relevant right now in Pittsburgh because there's a lot of, but should they get Najee Harris? Should they get ATN? What should they Javante Williams in the second and get, uh, I, the thing they shouldn't do is because the fan base has decided, Hey, the Steelers need to improve their offensive line take a left tackle to say they took a left tackle. I mean, that, that it, it, this is the best time in free agent. This is my, my most exciting time every year when fans and alleged analysts and otherwise start weighing in on like that offensive lineman's not worth that money. Oh, they, Oh, that's a great signing for blank. Cause that guy's a great offensive lineman. Nobody knows anything about how good offensive linemen are except you and about like 11 other human beings walking the planet earth. But anyway, answer that question for me. I don't remember. What, oh, it's it's clearly the O line. Clearly, that's been proven out so many. Look at Denver. Like that's been proven out so many times. It's not even funny. You'd rather have the elite O line. Although I will say this, Shaq. And this they don't win the Super Bowl. Play. The Patriots don't win the Super Bowl if they don't draft Sony Michelle. I, I that year, that January, they devoted mid December. They decide we're going with the rookie, and he's the key to the offense, and that's why they run the table and uh, and end up hoisting the Lombardi that year. So I don't mind if the Steelers. Yeah. I know people are going to if the Steelers they take Najee Harris, Rick Burkett, and James White. I don't. Th- Sony Michelle had a good playoffs, but I don't buy that. That's like saying they needed Leonard Fournette this past year. Leonard Fournette did some good things. I think they would have figured it out with Shady okay. McCoy and, and Ronald Jones. Here's the thing I would say. I think this is very timely and important. And I need to bring this up on my show. 
I don't see the value in spending as much money as some of these teams do on individual offensive linemen. Like the Washington football team, over $18 million for one year for Brandon Sheriff on the franchise tag. Like, are you kidding me? So over 10% of the salary cap for a right guard, or even the, the, the Chiefs with Joe Tooney, to do that, $16.5 million a year. Look at all the teams, Sheck, that have given big money to guards recently. The Jags and Andrew Norwell, they just made him take a pay cut. Giants and Zeitler, they just cut him. He went to the Ravens. The Chargers and Trey Turner, cut. Nobody that's given a lot of money to guards is, like, glad they did it. Because you know what they realize? At some point, they realize there's not that much value in having one or two outstanding offensive linemen. You know where the value is? Making sure none of the five stink. Making sure all five are average or better. If all five are average or better, you're going to have a good offensive line. Hmm. It doesn't help. Like Paying Trent Williams over $20 million a year, I, I'd, I'd rather make sure all five guys are pretty good and give four guys $5 million a year and make sure I'm good at every position because the value the great guy provides isn't really that much if the guy next to him or one of the other guys isn't that good. All right. Let's, I, I want to pace it up. You're too interesting for me. And I, and, and I, I want to do a four hour show instead of an hour. And we're, we're pushing up against uh, even the hour mark here. Bottom line it for me, AFC North. Is it the Browns division this year? Is that your bet? I would go Cleveland Browns. I would I go kind Cleveland of agree. Browns. And to your point about Zach Wilson earlier, Baker Mayfield is like that. If you give him a good offensive line, he thrives. If it's mediocre, he's a bum. And I really I think, believe it's that harsh uh, a drop-off for him. And But that offensive line does happen to be really good. Check. I think year two of Stefanski, they got John Johnson from the Rams, who's a good player. My guess is they'll end up getting a corner, maybe even an edge guy opposite Miles Garrett. And I, th- I think the Browns are coming, man. I- I'm a believer in Andrew Barry and Stefanski. I kind of am too, and I really am. Uh, you know, it's it's ridiculous. It's my old man's kind of worldview. Like it's all like I, I always cite like. My old man will say in 2021 when this baseball season's going on, like, oh, Red Sox, they never win in Baltimore. It's like what happened 70 years ago really doesn't apply here. But I, I can't get over like, well, the Browns must do it for me to believe it. They they must get to the Super Bowl before I will fully say like, OK, now the Browns have that stink off them. Um, I'm with you, though. I think that that's probably right. Um, and lastly, Dak Prescott to the NFC East gives them the clear-cut best quarterback in the division. They're going to roll. Do you think the Eagles roll with Jalen Hurts? Do you think it really ends up that they use that sixth overall on a piece like Kyle Pitts, which would be hard to turn your back on? Maybe they replenish that offensive line. Or do are they really going to roll with Hurts here? Because that seems like you're committing yourself to roll, not winning the division. With, yeah, I think they're going to roll with Hurts because I think they'd probably get the fourth 
quarterback at best at number six. That's so crazy. I know you love every year. It's like, well, that guy's not a first. That that quarterback's not going to go in the first. Or like, that guy's going to fall away. Mac Jones is going to be the last of those quarterbacks. Go like Trey Lance is going to go. I mean, they're all going to go in the top ten or top twelve ish about there. Anyway, go ahead. Yes, I think so. And I just, if you draft one of these guys at six, why'd you even ever draft Jalen Hurts? I mean, what what was the point of that? I think he did enough last year that he deserves an opportunity. I do think the Cowboys are the favorites in the division, but man, Fitzmagic makes Washington a little more interesting. He'll clearly play Easy better to root than the for, right. got last year. And then for the Eagles, you know, the one thing people aren't remembering, if the Eagles are healthy on the O-line and D-line, they're, they're top five up front, both sides of the ball. I mean, Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson, all these guys that didn't play last year because they got hurt. Eagles would have a chance to be very good up front. And if you're top five in the NFL, O-line, D-line, you have a shot. Like, you have an absolute shot. And by the way, if Carson Wentz, if the Eagles got top 20 quarterback play last year, not top five, not top 10, not even top 15, if they got 20th best quarterback in the NFL play, they win that division going away. Wentz was arguably the worst quarterback in the NFL last year. I mean, he was painful. He was hard to watch. And they still would, you know, they would have won the division if they had the 20th best quarterback in the NFL last year. I, by the way, please do, because I I, I have a, a, I'll forget to ask you this, so I'm doing this in real time. Next time you talk to Cosell, I really do. And I want to talk to a doctor, too, an orthopedist about this, because this is really a big thing. The thing when we were growing up, Ross, was always like, a guy, he tore his ACL. So, okay, he's back this year, and he looks pretty good. But ne- two years, that's when he's really going to be back into full form. It, does that apply to somebody who has elbow surgery, the kind that Roethlisberger had? Because I'm I, like, how do I know that Roethlisberger – the idea that, like, well, he wasn't good in certain places here and there. First of all, the arm was fine with a lot of throws. I refer you to the Indianapolis second half in week 16 if you have any questions about that. But – um I do want like, is it, is it possible that he starts throwing the deep ball like he did uh, five years ago? That's a good question. Well, look, how could it possibly not be better? Cause he's older. Right? That's the excuse season, people would say with the whole off season to throw. I, I can just speak from experience. I was, I felt so much better the two years after my back surgery than the year after my back surgery. So, I mean, I was still messed up for training camp. The next year, I felt normal. I felt good. It is. I'll tell you, man, it's a funny balance because you're like, I, I, we've seen a glimmer and let's sign him and we'll see, we'll, we'll use that every down and we'll be the best team in the league because we saw a glimmer in that guy in that te- on that team and we'll turn him into his full potential. But on the other hand, we also – are dependent on what we saw. We can't imagine that Roethlisberger's elbow would look better than it did last year because what well, you saw him coming down the stretch. That's who he is now. Nobody allows for uh, for that to improve and shake up the entire dynamic of the division. Um, so, okay, so you're going Cowboys in that division. I do think Washington's a lot of fun all of a sudden, despite Dan Snyder's presence um, there. And Spaghetti's Giants, we won't, uh, we won't talk about right now. Although the Saquon thing, and I, I mean, the, the I, they're a fascinating team too. The bottom line is, Ross, this is we're, we're entering that point in the pro football calendar where we're already, it's harder to make a case 
for why a team is going to stink than it is for why a team's going to be good. Almost every team you look at right now already, you can kind of say, like, I could see them putting it together and making a run. It's the way everybody talks about March Madness right now. Like, that 11 seed, that could be a tough out. Like, everybody can talk themselves into the here and now. Like, there's a, but there's something specific about pro football in the offseason and a signing here and a move there or a coach, there, a, a coordinator on that. Like, we're, I could see them maybe winning the division and teams come from last to first all the time. All right. Fascinating stuff that I could go on and on with you, but more fascinating still. Let's do it free agent style. I don't know if you've been watching Stanley Tucci, you and I and Jeff Schwartz and the entire food block, Brian Baldinger and the rest of uh, our members of our food block here, where we, where we tackle the biggest issues in culinary matters. I assume you've been watching Stanley Tucci, right? Have you been watching him go around Italy? No. Oh my God. What's wrong? You're so busy. Tucker has one. His social media accounts are great. If for no other reason, cause he, he tweets out the food he's about to eat all the time, but it's better than when most people do it. Cause he's usually getting food from a facility that's free to him. He's not like, look at what I just paid uh, $200 to eat. It's like, look, this is the free buffet available to me. Um, Tucci, go, that's how he's treating the entire nation of Italy. He just goes around, like, eats free stuff, like, takes a couple bites and then moves on to the next food item, and it looks delicious. And it leads me to this, Ross Tucker. The entire the, – the food world, all the nations in the country – or, I, I mean, all the, na- all the nations on the big blue marble are available to you in free agency. Which nation's foodstuffs are you signing? You're, you're going to break the bank to get here. Go ahead. And by the way, you can't go for the U.S. because the U.S. gets the big asterisk. You cannot go pizza because Italy gets pizza. You can't go American Chinese food because China gets Chinese food. You understand? It's got to be barbecue, cheeseburgers, New Orleans kind of food, American foods. I think, I mean, the ones that jump out to me are clearly – Italian, Mexican, and American. Strong. That's, I think that's pretty close to my win play show. I, I might go Mexican, man. Now the Number thing, one! The thing that's interesting about Mexican, okay, is that all Mexican food is like has the same ingredients. Like, I, they're, they're all called different things, like tacos and burritos and flour like all these other things but at the end of the day it's some type of tortilla with some type of meat and cheese in it right like but i guess i like that's what i like and i like the variety of i could put some seafood in there like a fish taco Mm -hmm. i could go pork i could go chicken i could do enchiladas i those are that's what I like. I like meat and cheese, and I don't need I don't need all the carbs and bread of Italian. I, I, I mean, I'm not a huge Italian. I'm not a huge bread guy. So not, not only do I not love the taste, it's fine. Bread's fine, but in my old age, I'm trying to cut down on carbs and calories. Like I just don't need that. So I would go yeah, Mexican you, one. Wow, that's 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 bold, and and yet I've been spaghetti. Get in here, by the way. Um, the I feel like 
I, I've I've been surprised by the amount of Mexican in on the winner stand top three. The one for me where I I ultimately I, I think people are trying too hard if they're not putting America on their winner stand because are you really going to say goodbye to beef brisket with with delicious barbecue no. sauce on it? No. I mean that's crazy. What no, kind of crazy not. talk would or that be? Burgers or dogs? Like no. Even if you never get our pizza. And by the way, that that's the one. I also think people are overthinking it if they're willing to. It's crazy when you really think about it, that Italian food is like the debate is like, well, so I don't get American pizza anymore. It's like Italy is where it's at. That's the takeaway. Italy has as a nation the best food because America's food the food we eat the most in the U.S. is pizza. It's their food. So I don't know how you would not say Italy is at worst two, right? Or three. I mean, gotta gotta be in there. But the one for me too is Middle Eastern, Mediterranean. I don't know. Like, do we extend into Greece? No matter. I'm still gonna go with Middle Eastern. But if if you give me Greek along with the hummus no. and the no. and the shawarma and all of it, I, I, awfully delicious. I'm really into Thai food these days, but like, here's the thing for Italian, it's good, but I don't need all like the lasagna and all the pasta. Like I don't need that all the time. That's like what, a sometimes. What about a nice Marsala? Don't you want that? And I, I, a test of a great Italian restaurant is if they make a good Marsala, if they could do a good veal Marsala or chicken Marsala, that's when, you know, you found a good spot there. That's, you know what? That's, you know what? I think Italians are overrated. Overrated. Then now, now, now you're, now you're crossing the line, friend. No, you know why I think Italians are overrated? Cause when I go to an Italian restaurant, I always just get chicken parm. I always just get chicken parm. And there like, aren't like other things that, on uh, there that I'm not that that I'm not enamored with. Like, I'm like, okay, I could do this, uh, whatever, this chicken, whatever, or I could do the fish they have. But I don't look at an Italian menu and think, oh my gosh, what am I going to get? Whereas when I look at like a, a menu at a Mexican restaurant, I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's a mil- I could get the fajitas, I could get the enchiladas, I could just go burrito. Oh, give me the guac. Like, okay. And you go to an Italian restaurant, they bring out bread, okay, to start the meal. You go to a Mexican restaurant, chips and guac. Chips and guac, okay? That's, that's, that's I true. I eat the whole meal of chips and guac. Wait a Mexican second, Spaghetti. This is a category that Tucker has taken us into. When you go to one of these restaurants, who puts down the best pre-food, you know, like pre-meal food for you? The Italian bread with the butter. But see, in a good one, they give you at a good Italian restaurant, they give it to you. It's warm. And they give you the good olive oil and the and the vinegar, and you make them just so. That's pretty good. You're you're ignoring that. But I do think you're probably right that the um, although at a Chinese restaurant, I not when they give the shoestring, not not the stick ones, like the the ones that are circular, tubular. I like the flat, uh, the flat, crispy, crunchy. Uh, noodles that they give you at a Chinese, those are delicious. You know what I'm talking about, right? Those are the ones that they give you in a bowl. Um, but I still think you're, you might be right. The chips and salsa is a standard at, 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 at Mexico. And, and, I, and I, I think you got to throw a guac in there now. A guac but, is. Nah, guac is overrated. Now that's a food stuff. No, that it's is not. Overrated. Like, all right. It's like 
it's fine. It's it feels like you're satiating your. When I eat guacamole, I I feel like I'm filling my belly. This is good. It's avocado. It's healthy. I'm gonna feel full from having eaten this, but I don't think like, wow, so delicious. Give me more of that guacamole. I don't need. I, I don't need that. And also at a Mexican restaurant, you're you're, you're talking about burrito or a taco or enchilada. What you're really talking about is the packaging. You're talking about do I want it wrapped up like this? Do I want it the whole like do I want a football sized meal or do I want a series of uh, of um, smaller little top or do I want to use a fork and a knife because it's got cheese melted on it? That's Speaking what we're talking that, about. Dude, you're 15 minutes into my lunch hour now. Fine, good. Well, this is how Jeff Schwartz ends every show too with his uh, stomach growling and announcing he's had more than enough. Yeah, I mean, dude, I, I like I need to eat now. I so Fine. first of all. I theoretically could have stayed on for a little bit longer. But what you can't do when you have an East Coast guest, you can't do the you can't do the food conversation at the end when we've already been talking for an hour and it's lunchtime. You know what I mean? Like if we did the food right at the start, I might be able to be talking right now about Big Ben or something like that. But you did the wrong order. If you want no, to, no, I stay didn't. Long, I don't need your help. I don't need your help with how I lay out the the talking <laughs> points. And what but what I'll help you with is you have all those football helmets behind you on there to show off for I don't know who. But when what you should do is hide food in each of those helmets. So when you get hungry in an emergency, you can reach behind you and you have a, a bowl of queso served up in that Dallas Cowboys hat of yours. I got to have my salad with egg and uh, Caesar. So I I eat so lame during the week so that when I – the stuff when I go out to eat or when on the weekend, I have good stuff to post. If you're you're a former offensive lineman trying to stay under 250, man, I eat real lame. Plus, every time I take my daughters to like singing lessons or tennis or whatever, I always get them ice cream because that's just what you do. That's so that's classic. like two or three times a week where I get ice cream. That screws me. Anyway, I <laughs> got to go. Dude. You, the man. you skipped the step, though, but you skipped the step. You said you took them for ice cream. Somehow you ended up eating ice cream. I don't know. What, that's that's what happens. That's yeah, my, wife always, my wife always laughs at me. She's like, you act like you're, like, doing them some favor. You're only <laughs> going because you want the ice cream. She's like, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? You're not like, you're not like dad of the year because you take your kids to get ice cream. Like. You're taking your kids to get ice cream because you want the ice cream. I mean, that's another conversation we could have is I I would I, I tell people the reason that I'm a halfway decent father is is probably like 80 percent owed the DVR. I don't know what people did before it, but I mean, like <laughs> I see all my games, but like what is that's so nice. Aren't, aren't the Penguins playing right now? Like. Yes, but don't say a word about it because I have a DVR at home. I got to go home and watch them defeat the Flyers or the Bruins or whomever else. Uh, Ross Tucker, you're the tops, pal. We, uh, we a great time, and I feel like we have about uh, 17 more hours we could kibitz here. But uh, for now, go eat a lunch, and uh, and we'll talk soon. See you guys. There he goes, the great Ross Tucker. Everybody, I thought uh, I thought we covered it pretty much all there, huh, Spaghetti? Hit it multiple divisions, free agency, draft stuff, um, you know, injury updates. You guys are touching a lot of topics for sure. That's right. So, all right. So with all that being said, go fill out your brackets, get them all in there, jump in with uh, with the against all odds fellas on what they've got going down. So much good stuff going on on the Extra Points Network. Make sure you're consuming it all. And 
Anything else, Spaghetti? You put your finger on your chin pensively, like you had one more thought to share with the world. No, I was thinking, but you know, in an hour, almost hour fifteen, we hit we hit quite a bit. So I think uh, we covered it all. And we'll, you know, the good news is we'll be back in two more days with our our pal Kevin Hench. Yeah, he's getting he's getting uh, mixed feedback. People enjoy. I think people find it compelling one way or the other. But some people are like, "Boy, he's hysterical," and other people are like, "Man, he's a madman." So either way. Assess him for yourself. Join us later in the week for the second installment of Minus Three. We appreciate you downloading and sharing it with your pals and all that sort of stuff. And until later in the week, by which point the basketball will have tipped. We'll be watching college basketball. The ball is tipped. How much? That's a good game, Spaghetti. We should do that next week with uh, or next time with Hench. Let's see if he can sing the entire uh, one shining moment acapella. The ball Better. is tipped. It's one shining moment you reach for the stars. One shining moment. All right, Very so good. thanks to Ross Tucker. And uh, we'll be back with more hooey and applesauce in a couple of days. Until then, for Eddie Spaghetti, thanks so much, sports fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven. <laughs> <laughs>